Welcome to Nurture Small Business, creating a thriving space with your host, Denise Kagan. Denise is the president of DCA Virtual Business Support and has been a business owner for almost 20 years. DCA Virtual Business Support provides small businesses with an expert pairing of virtual administrative and marketing assistance to match your needs. Learn more at dcavirtual.com. Today, I would like to welcome Rico Rice to our show. Rico is the president of Rice Education Consulting, Redcon. They're an organization development firm providing training, coaching, and strategic planning to organizations and communities that facilitates the development of their most important assets, their people, and their culture. A husband and father of four, Rico is a respected trainer and facilitator in the areas of social justice on topics such as diversity and inclusion and healthy masculinity, as well as college planning and leadership development. He has also created signature programs such as the Knowledge to Inspire the Next Generation, the King Program, which is a summer leadership program for Black high school males, and a Day in the Life Program, which exposes Black high school males to careers in engineering, accounting, and finance through his partnerships with major companies in the Cincinnati area. Rico, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Denise. Thanks for having me. Now, before we jump straight into our topic on diversity in the workplace, I think we should acknowledge the turmoil that's going on in the country and actually across the world. Uh, People are in pain and it's become very apparent. And some of us, myself including, are starting to wake up to that pain and the, the, the fact that racism goes far deeper, the disparity is more than we could have ever imagined. So let's just start there. Yeah, yeah, Denise, I think it's a, um, I guess for lack of a better word, a very crazy time, but it's also an important time. And it's a time for, um, with, as you mentioned, there's a lot of eyes being opened and there's a lot of attention to the uh, racial disparities that have existed for the entirety of our country. So I think um, if done correctly, that this could be a very big changing point where um, people really start to see the trials, tribulations and wrongs and inequities that exist <clears throat> in a lot of different systems inside of our our society, whether that's the legal system, the justice system, the healthcare system and the education system. Um, so I think that it's very crazy time. I think that a lot of the that the craziness is warranted, but I also think that it's important that um, we don't just turn away or we don't just <clears throat> let it be swept under the rug over the next months months as other things become um, the topic of the day inside of pop culture. And I think if done right, if done from a strategic approach, that we can look back some 30, 40 years and say this was a turning point for equity inside of our country. Absolutely. I I do hope that this truly, truly does stick as a a turning point. And one of the things I know that um, is part of it is that people seem to be more open, or some people, not all, of course, but some people seem to be more open to conversations, even conversations where they don't know exactly what to say and they don't always have the right words. Yeah, I think that's very important, right? And I think that, you know, 
I've always been taught that seeing is believing most times. And right. When you see what the world saw, then it, there's, there's no way to unsee it or it's, it's a lot harder to unsee. And I think with that as the backdrop that it forces some of those conversations and it forces before those conversations, some awareness in, in, inside of individuals to say, okay, maybe I didn't hourly contribute it contribute to the issue but hey i am um somewhat responsible in in certain ways and i have potentially benefited in ways that i never thought about in the past and that's to a certain degree that's okay if i'm going to use things the resources and those things that i benefit from to then drive change um you know that's one thing but if i'm going to just act like those things didn't happen or I don't have those benefits and not use it to drive change, then that's very problematic. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Rico, tell me a little bit about, we're going to shift a little bit. Tell me a little bit about your company and could be, because I know you work in the space of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So just tell me a little bit more about what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So um, as you can see by the name, um, it's Rice Education Consultant. We go by Redcon now. But I got my start um, in education. So before I started my company 11 years ago, I was a school counselor. And one of the things that I learned from my time at school counselor was that there's often a cultural disconnect between um, individuals, right? So as a school counselor, there would would be teachers that would come to me with students and say, that student did this or that student did that. And because I was from the same background as that student, I didn't see it as an issue at all. But for the teacher, it was a discipline issue or a um, lack of respect issue. And if it's a discipline issue and that child is removed, then it becomes a student achievement issue because that student is no longer able to achieve. And then so I started to think about this and, hey, so I started to do trainings and we started to provide certain services in that area for schools. But then the question became, um, okay, those individuals are going to leave the school system and they're going to go into the workplace. And then is the same thing going to happen in the workplace? And then, and then, okay, sometimes there's going to be interactions with other agencies and law enforcement and all these different places. They're going to have this same cultural disconnect and the same thing already existed at those places. And that's when we really began to take and focus on um, diversity and inclusion. But from that standpoint, also one of the things that we began to do was develop strategic plans in the areas of equity and diversity and inclusion. And, um, you know, it was, it's not, we don't believe it's good enough just to have training. It has to be embedded into the culture. And a lot of that comes from the planning and, and being strategic about it. And so that's kind of how we then began to get into the strategic, the strategic planning. It began first as diversity and inclusion, but then, um, we say, okay, we're already planning, then let's plan, help organizations plan holistically. And then that way we can really embed the DNI into their holistic plans of an organization. That sounds amazing and definitely needed at this time in this world. Um, give me an example of maybe a recent program that you've done. So, yeah. So, um, so right now we're working with a few different organizations. Uh, one in particular uh, is a statewide nonprofit that we work with, right? And um, with that nonprofit, we're doing different things at, at, at different levels of the organization. So <clears throat> this organization um, 
is a funder and also a resource provider for other smaller agencies inside of their their umbrella, so to speak. So with this agency, um, we're doing training with their board, right? Because their board sets the policy. So we're getting some awareness training with their board to understand the different aspects of diversity and inclusion. We're also um, providing coaching to the board. And from there, we're working with their staff, um, with the executive director and the core team. We developed an equity and inclusion plan for them that um, helped them see how they can show up and be more equitable as an organization, both internally with their staff, um, different, creating po- different policies that are more equitable, as well as with their external communications to their funders and to the organizations that they're funding. And then lastly, we're providing training to both um, to those organizations that they're funding, both in the face-to-face and in the virtual realm to where they can become more inclusive as they serve the population that they're, that they're looking to serve. Um, so that's one, one way we're, we're working with one organization. With another organization, we're studying their recruitment practices because they're having a hard time um, being able to recruit minority talent. So we're looking at their current recruitment processes and, and trying to help them um, think about doing things different and, and providing some training for those actual um, recruiting partners to help them understand um, some of the, the nuances to it. Because what happens in both um, in a lot of the fields that we work in is that those individuals that are doing the hiring, doing the interviewing, they don't necessarily, they're there by their job title, but not by training. Right. So if you think about um, a school system, who's who are our clients, um, the principal or the superintendent may have never taken a class in HR and how to hire, or you think about a nonprofit um, organization, there's a, there, most of our nonprofits don't even have HR departments, right? So a lot of the places where we're prominent at, we don't really, there's not a dedicated HR function. So you're putting the onus on hiring and bringing in the right individual or trying to recruit for diverse talent and someone has that unfairly, first of all, and then that just doesn't have that, that acumen or that, that skill let's say. Absolutely. I see it all the time in nonprofits where people are wearing multiple hats and ones that they aren't always suited for or trained for. Um, so I know you mentioned nonprofits. What other types of uh, businesses and organizations do you typically work with? Yeah, so the vast majority of our customer base comes from education entities. So that's both K through 12 as well as um, colleges. Also, mid mid to national level nonprofits, um, municipalities. And then uh, we're growing our small business um, realm as well. And when I say small business, it's typically organizations with a thousand or less employees. And um, we've done some things with corporate, with the corporate sector, um, the Fortune 500 sector, but that's a very small piece of our um, business. Okay. Now, what are some of the benefits of diversity and equity and inclusion in the workplace? So um, the big business that I think most business owners would, would care about is that there's a financial um, benefit, right? So um, organizations that are diverse tend to out, outperform those that, that are not. There's a lot of uh, different studies out there that supports that. One of the more popular ones is the uh, McKinsey report 
There's um, also some stats that says there's a 2.3 more, uh, 2.3 times more cash flow per employee for those diverse companies. Um, and they're 120% more capable of meeting financial targets. So those are some of the um, financial pieces, right? And then there's also some secondary pieces that ladder up to finances as well. And that's just um, the employee engagement and employee morale, right? So if your organization is inclusive, your your employees feel better about coming to work oftentimes, which leads to higher productivity and also a decrease in retention from those employees and a um, decrease in, in, in talent exit um, and knowledge drain. So that's another big piece of it. And then it also is a, um, a PR aspect as well, right? So um, when the employees are, are feeling good about where they're working at, and also, if the employer employees are um, more in, in able to engage a diverse customer base, then it also drives drives revenue um, in that way as well. So there, I can go on for days talking about the benefits of diversity, equity, inclusion, but I think we only have about twenty minutes, so I don't want to do that. <laughs> well, you gave some very powerful ones. M- many that you know, of course, we're in the financial realm. And they they're, they talk to the bottom line, not the heart, which wow. I know, of course, we're talking about business, so that's important. Um, but there's been initiatives in the past. Why haven't they been successful? Well, I think with any initiative or anything in, in general, right, um, it's what you're putting into it. Oftentimes you get out of it, what you put into it and um, – how it's done, right? So, um, so I think with 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 that being said, um, the initiatives that are successful are, they share a few different characteristics. One, there's some high level engagement and uh, push from senior leadership. Um, there's also a financial backing as well as just a hey, we're going to do this. So there's more. It's more than just a mandate a verbal mandate is there's financial backing that allows the initiative to be um, carried out. I think there's metrics tied to it, right? Um, Meaning that it's actually being measured um, with real data. I think that there are individuals who are responsible for that, for their, um, for their job. It's tied to someone's job or some people's job, I think is, is very important. And I think also it's consistent and it's constant. It's not, Hey, we're just doing this, one day a year, or we're just going to make this one statement. We're really going to embed diversity, equity, and inclusion in our decision-making process from our products to our advertisement, to our recruitment, to everything about our organization. And we're going to look at it from a, a lens that supports diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think at those organizations where those things happen, I mean, there's, there's a few more, but I think at those organizations where those things happen, the success of those initiatives are um, bear more fruit than at other places. And as business owners, what can we do right now to enforce diversity, equity, and inclusion in our own workplaces? Yeah, I think the first thing we can do is really take some time to reflect and educate ourselves and think about how we thought about um, diversity, equity, and inclusion in the past. Have we thought about it as a a business imperative and it's something to 
that we have to do or we saw, thought about something that we thought of it that could be cool to do but not as important to our business. Um, I think that's where we start. And then once we kind of reevaluate that and understand that this is a business imperative, then I think we have to, um, if we don't think we have the ability to, we have to get that individual or that company or that expert in to then evaluate what we're doing currently, right? Look at our policies, look at our practices, talk to our folks and see how they really feel about our efforts in this area. And then from there um, to game plan, to create programs, practices, and policies that are that are more inclusive um, and that can help drive this uh, equity that, that we're speaking of. Also, um, they can evaluate who they're doing business with, right? And who are we? Who are they spending their monies with? Who are our suppliers, and what does our suppliers believe in? Um, or how do our suppliers look? Right? Are we buying from just one type of individual? Or can we expand our supplier pool to um, people, to black-owned businesses, or other racially-owned businesses, or to other um, minority, so to speak, owned businesses, um, women-owned businesses, and things such as that. And then also looking at our suppliers and asking, what do our suppliers believe in, right? What are our supplier values? How are they showing up? Um, or how do their employees feel about them as a company? And really being strategic and about how we spend our money and <clears throat> with our suppliers. And on the other side, you know, um, really using our stake as small business owners and, and advocating using our voice as the uh, backbone of of business to advocate and to drive change and make those um, people accountable to, to being more equitable. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what I heard you say is really starts by introspection and from top down. So as the leader of the company, as the owner, you know, you need to examine yourself and then move forward with making the changes so they become inherently part of the culture of the organization, not just the thing you're doing today. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So for our listeners, I do want to let them know that this is the first of a series of three podcasts. Um, today, we were talking about benefits of a diverse workforce and our next um, session is going to be leadership strategies for creating and keeping a diverse workforce. So we're going to build on what we talked about today. And our third one will be a little bit different. We are going to do a workplace diversity Q&A. And what we will do is we will invite guests to uh, email their questions to us in advance that we can answer on the podcast um, you can send them in as anonymous or we're happy to acknowledge you in your business as well. To send those, you can just send them to me, Denise at dcavirtual.com. And I'll ensure that Rico also has those as well. Again, that's my email, Denise at dcavirtual.com. So before we finish up for the day, Rico, can you tell people how they can find you if they want to reach out to you after the podcast? Absolutely. Um, our website is www.riceeducationconsulting.com. My email is rico at riceeducationconsulting.com. Um, LinkedIn is Rico Rice. And then our Facebook is Rice Education Consulting. Perfect. Rico, 
thank you for being here today. I am looking forward to next week's conversation as well. Thank you for having me and I'm looking forward to it as well. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's Nurture Small Business, creating a thriving space podcast. Learn more about your host at dcavirtual.com or by emailing her directly at denise at dcavirtual.com.